Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today, I'm going to finish up a series, Undefeated. Uh, three weeks ago, we started this series, and, and today I get to finish it. And so let me review really quick uh, where we've been with this series, and then, then we'll dive into the word for today. I told you that first week that we are perfectly capable of losing. Within ourselves, we're perfectly capable, but God's not. God's not capable of losing. History proves that God always wins. And as children of God, we've got to stop living life in a constant state of defeat. Even with the things happening in the world around us, if we're not careful, we will, we will preach doom and gloom. But I'm letting you know God is still God. God is still on the throne. And we are going to be okay. In the end, we win. Amen? And so we looked at the third chapter of the book of Daniel that first week and in the middle of a political wicked atmosphere. Sound familiar? In the middle of a political wicked atmosphere, there were three Hebrew boys that did not rant and rave about a corrupt king. They, they didn't start a coup to overthrow the government. They just simply stood for their beliefs and they did not do what others were doing. And because of this, they faced persecution. Persecution like you and I have never had to face before. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. But it was there in that fiery furnace that God showed up and he was there with them and he brought them out safely. And, and I told you, I said, as Christians, we are so frightened by adversity. We are. It scares us. Adversity scares us. But adversity invites Jesus to walk with you in the fire. And without adversity, you don't need Jesus. If you never needed to be saved, you would never need a savior, Right. The second week, I told you God created us with all of our emotions, but God did not create us to be held captive by those same emotions. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat didn't allow the emotion of fear to take control. Instead, the king, when afraid, took his emotions to the one that created him, to the one that created those emotions. And I told you that if you want to go undefeated, you've got to learn to let God fight your battles. You've got to quit fighting them yourself. yourself. You've got to let God fight the battles. He gives you the victory, but the battle belongs to him. Amen? Throughout my coaching career, there are certain losses that stand out to me. Out of all the, the hundreds of games throughout the, the years that I've been a part of, there's a couple of losses that really stand out to me. And, and, and one of those losses was at the district championship game in 2015. It was hosted at the Williston High School gym. And, and we made it through the whole tournament and, and we were facing Williston for the championship game. And earlier in the season, we, we, we did the impossible. We beat Williston on their home court. We were underdogs. Nobody thought we could do it. And, and it, it solidified in our hearts and minds that we could do it, that, that this was possible for us. And so we, we took the court with confidence. We knew that we could do it. But unfortunately, we didn't. We didn't win that game. And we had to settle for district runner-up. Then in early 2016, earlier this year, we were back in the district championship in a new district. They had realigned the districts and, and the, we were playing on our home court. We were hosting the gym or hosting the tournament at our gym here in Newberry. And so we made it to the final game. And with the district realigned the way it was, Hawthorne was now in our district. Now, for those of you that know high school basketball, you'll know that Hawthorne is a tough opponent, always making a run towards state. 
and, and, and we had made it. Hawthorne had, had beaten us twice during the regular season, and now we're in that championship game playing Hawthorne. And, and nobody thought we could beat them. Nobody, nobody thought we were capable of doing it. But almost the whole game, we're leading. It, 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 was, it was beautiful. And at one point, we had a pretty significant lead. But then during that fourth quarter, they started fighting back. And I'll never forget, 52 seconds left in the game. Hawthorne takes the lead. 52 seconds away from a championship. And Hawthorne takes the lead. We had to settle once again for district runner-up. And I don't know why, but out of all the wins, out of all the successes that, that, that happened on the basketball court, those two games always stand out to me. Above all the other gains, above all the other wins, those two losses are always the ones that make me think if we could just go back, boy, if I could go back to that fourth quarter, what would we change to win the district championship? If I could just go back, I would. But, but I guess the same's true. You can't win them all, right? You can't win them all. And as I conclude this series today, I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to sound presumptuous because it's easy with a series like undefeated. It's easy for this to come off very arrogant. I cannot in good conscience tell you that you will win every battle. Some preachers will preach that to you. Some preachers want you to walk out of here believing. They want to build you up so much that you believe that you are going to win every battle. But I'm a realist. I understand it's not going to happen, that there are times that you are not going to win the battle. I could sit here all day and say, you're undefeated. You are undefeated. You're never going to lose. But, but when you get that report that it's cancer, that has the ability to change your mind, right? When you get laid off of your job, I'm sorry, but, but that's a moment of defeat. When your marriage is falling apart, it's hard for you to believe that you can go through life undefeated. And so again, in an effort not to be arrogant, I want to tell you that there's times in life when you're going to lose the battle. Truth be told, you're probably not supposed to win every battle. This is just what you wanted for today, right? But if you remain faithful you will win the war. You may lose some battles, but if you remain faithful, you will win the war. Being faithful is being full of faith. That even though it looks dark, you believe in your heart of hearts, you know that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is going to bring light to your darkness. That's being full of faith. That's being faithful. But no matter how bad the finances are, you believe that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is your provider. That no matter how bad it gets, if you remain faithful, even though you lose some battles along the way, you are going to win the war. I've heard it said defeat is often a temporary condition. Giving up is what makes it permanent. And so I want you to be encouraged today, believers. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that you should not give up. Even though you may lose some battles, don't give up. 
Some of the greatest victories throughout history were won through some lost battles and some battles that were won. The Civil War alone consisted of 50 major battles. 50 major battles. But it's estimated that there were around 10,500 engagements, skirmishes, reconnaissances, sieges, and bombardments. The Union Army, they won some battles and they lost some battles, but they eventually won the war, which, which led to many things. But one of those things is, is the end of slavery. Thank God that it brought about the end of slavery. But if you give up at a lost battle, you'll never get to win that war. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. As you're turning to 2 Samuel chapter 11, I want to explain to you what has happened up to this point. Up until this moment in history, David has never lost a battle. Not as a shepherd, not as a warrior, not as a king. David has never lost a battle. We remember that first battle that David had just as a shepherd boy when he had to face Goliath, the giant of the Philistine army. He didn't lose. David won, declared the battle's not mine, it belongs to the Lord. Won the battle. Chapter eight of this, of this same book, 2 Samuel, tells us that while David was king, he won many battles over the Philistines. And so the battle against Goliath was just one of many battles that he would fight. But it reminds us but David won many battles over them. It tells us that he defeated the Moabites. It, it tells us that David defeated the army of Hadadezer, who, uh, when David defeated him, he captured 1,000 of his chariots, 7,000 chariot riders, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Chapter 8 tells us that when the Arameans, uh, Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, David's army struck down 22,000 of them. It tells us that he controlled the nations of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek. And just for fun, on his way home at the end of this chapter, it tells us that he struck down 18,000 men of Edom in the Valley of Salt. Just to add to his conquest, just to add to his great resume of victories. Every time that David stepped onto a field of combat, he walked off of that battlefield a victor. Undefeated. Could not be beaten. That is until he lost the battle on the balcony. And the battle on the balcony is a battle that everybody in this room fights. No one is exempt from this. Everybody fights the battle on the balcony. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting at verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. 
And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, as she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. King David, what were you thinking? What is wrong with you? You've got so much going for you. You have never lost a battle on the battlefield. Never. You can have your pick from any single woman in the kingdom. David, what's wrong with you? That you would go and choose that woman who is married to a soldier that is fighting your war. Because verse 1 tells us at a time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. When he was supposed to be out there fulfilling his obligation as king, he stays home while other men are out there fighting his battle. Why? Why do you want that particular one, David? David was a mighty king, uh, undefeated. He, he had expanded the kingdom of Israel. He had led the, the, the nation to military growth, to financial growth. He even led the nation to spiritual growth. Reestablishing feasts, festivals, writing songs that would praise God. And as great as he was, David had a weakness. As great as David was, as great as, as the history book tells us, David had a weakness. And this weakness would prove to be the downfall for this king. You see, the kings were taught the law. They knew what the law of Israel, the law of Moses, they knew what, what it said. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, it has some very specific instructions for a king. Verse 14 says... When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall, not, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. God was very specific for these instructions to a king of Israel. The king of Israel was forbidden to do three things according to what we just read. The first thing is that he could not acquire many horses for himself. The second thing was he must not acquire many wives for himself. And the third was he must not acquire excessive silver and gold for himself. Now, now here's the thing. One and three, they're not a problem for David. This apparently is not his temptation. We know this because when he defeated the, the army of Hadadezer, he captured, remember what I told you, he captured 1,000 of his chariots, 7,000 chariot riders, and 20,000 foot soldiers. 
But then David cuts the legs of all but 100 of the chariot horses. And so he's obeying. He's not supposed to acquire many, many horses. Then he also dedicated the gold and silver that they acquired from battles. He dedicated that to the Lord. And they would eventually, they would want to use them to construct the temple when his son Solomon would build the temple. And so David was collecting gold and, and silver and, and he was acquiring that and dedicating it to God. One in three, they were not the problems. But number two is the problem in his life. That's his Achilles heel. That's his weakness. 2 Samuel 5 and 13 tells us, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. More? So he already had some concubines and some wives, but it wasn't enough. David wanted more, more women, more women in his life. This was his weakness. And David had the classic case of entitlement. Entitlement will cause you to think that you deserve a reward for what you've been through in life. I mean, after all, think about David's life. When nobody else would stand up to the giant Philistine, when nobody else would, when his brothers, his older brothers were scared, when the King Saul was scared, and he's just there delivering food to his brothers on the battlefield, when nobody else will, David will. And he walks out there with a sling, five smooth stones, and he kills this giant, knocks him down, and then cuts his head off with the, with the, the, the giant's own sword. I mean, surely if you do that for a nation, you deserve to pick of the litter, right? You, you, whoever you want, it belongs to you, right? And then he becomes this great warrior. So great that as they march back into Jerusalem, the women and children start singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. When you've killed tens of thousands defending your nation, surely you can pick whoever you want to be your next concubine or to be your next wife, right? When you've done that many great things, when you have gone your entire life, your entire career, and you are undefeated, you've never lost, you are entitled to what you want out of life, right? Because entitlement will cause you to think that you deserve a reward for what you've been through in life. But I deserve. But I Deserve. Say those three words with me. But I deserve. Say it again. But I deserve. Those are three of the most deadliest words to a Christian. Listen to me. At the moment those three words come out of your mouth in whatever situation you're in, it will mess you up. Because it's at that moment that you think you're entitled. Entitlement has no place in Christianity. You understand, our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm not entitled to anything. The next breath that I'm about to take right now, I'm not entitled to that. It's only by His grace that I received that breath. 
And there's way too many people, and especially Christians, there's way too many of us that we're going through life and we think that we're entitled, that we deserve it, but I deserve. And those three words, spiritually, they are killing us. Because but I deserve will cause a person to embezzle money from the company because you didn't get that raise. But I deserve will cause you to justify your gossip about someone else because they just deserve to be talked about. But I deserve will cause a man to cheat on his wife or a woman to cheat on her husband. But I deserve will make you think that you deserve to win a battle that you shouldn't even be fighting in the first place. David was great at battle undefeated on the battlefield. But when it came to life, David was losing the war. And I wonder how many of us were in the same boat. I wonder. We're successful. It looks like everything's going our way. But deep down, we know we're losing the war of life. David may have defeated giants, but the giant of lust, it had his number. The giant of entitlement, it came after him. And too many Christians have adapted or have adopted the, the win the battle, lose the war mentality, and we don't even know it. We've adapted to that. Win the battle, lose the war. Some people will settle for the momentary win and sacrifice the war in the process. They will accept the promotion to make more money but lose the time that they should be spending with their family in the process. They will satisfy the desire to accumulate more things and lose sight of why God has blessed them financially in the first place. You're blessed to be a blessing to his kingdom. They will settle for a moment of passion because they deserve to be treated better and in the process they'll lose their marriage. All because but I deserve entitlement and the sad thing is the enemy knows how to trick us with this because we're winning some of these battles the things that we think we deserve we're winning them the, the enemy's just he, he's just planning it right there in front of us and, and and we're winning these battles and we think that we're entitled to win but we're losing the overall war and church we've got to stop confusing battles for the war with every battle that comes before us, we've got to look at it and realize what's the big picture here? What is this going to do to my marriage? What is this going to do to my family? What is this going to do to my relationship with Jesus Christ? This mentality will bring about heartache and confusion. David saw something else that he had to conquer. As if he didn't have enough. He saw this woman. And I'll tell you, I'll let you in on a, on a man's secret here. Men will see that woman as a challenge. He steps out on his balcony on his rooftop and he looks and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. David says, I need that. I need to conquer that bring her to me I deserve it it was a battle he shouldn't even be fighting scripture tells us to flee sexual immorality 
don't fight that battle. Get away from it. Flee. Run from it. But it's not just sexual immorality. When it comes to about everything in life, we will feel the entitlement if we're not careful. Men, women, we will feel like we're entitled. And he gets her pregnant. And in an effort to cover his sin, David sends for her husband, Uriah, to return from the battlefield. David thinks, if I bring her husband home from the battlefield, he will go, he will sleep with her, and then we can blame the pregnancy on, on him. But the unthinkable happens because Uriah comes home. And he's feeling very patriotic when he gets home. And, and, and he's, he says, no, I, I can't go to my house and eat at my table and, and, and lay with my wife. I can't do that because I, I've got comrades out on the battlefield. I, there's fellow soldiers that are out there fighting the battle that I should be at. And so the Bible says that David goes and, and he sleeps on the couch outside the, the court of, of David's castle, of the, of the kingdom there. He's sleeping with the servants, laying on a couch. David says, I, I, can't, I can't have this. He's got to go home. I've got to get him home. So David goes to, to plan B. Let's get him drunk. Surely if I get him drunk, he'll lay aside all these, 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 these dumb ideas uh, and, and he'll lose his patriotism and he'll, he'll go home and, and be with his wife. He just gets him drunk and the guy just goes and passes out on the couch with the servants again. David said, this isn't working. Let me try one more thing. I'm going to send him to the front line of the battlefield. He sends a letter with the guy. Basically, it's his death sentence. Send, sends it with him so that the commander puts him on the front line. David knows he will be killed in battle, and it's exactly what happens. He has the woman's husband killed. He's a murderer. The pride of Israel, their flag today, still has the star of David on it considered the greatest king they've ever had. A murderer. When you think about the decision that was made, all of this happens because he felt entitled to that prize. Then God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to rebuke David for his actions. And I want to read a little bit about that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now, this is not him saying, you're the man. Now, this is him putting the blame on the guy. You're the one to blame. You are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold... I will, rise, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, the, of this son. 
For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. You see, there are certain principles in God's word that once God said them, they're concrete. They cannot change. Because God set spiritual principles in place. Once it's said, God has to abide by it. He has to live by it. And one of those principles is the principle of sowing and reaping. That whatever you sow, you will also reap. And this is what happens to David's life. He was a murderer. And because of that seed planted, he was going to reap a harvest. Not a good harvest. He was going to reap a harvest of murderers. That baby died. David's firstborn son, Amon, picked up some of his dad's bad habits and liked to look at women. But he didn't look next door from the balcony like his dad did. No, this guy went and raped his own sister. David's second oldest son, Absalom, devised a way to kill his brother for raping his sister. Then Absalom tried to overthrow David as king, and, and his son was killed in the process, bringing heartache to David. David's thirdborn son, Adonijah, hated his father so much that he tried to kill his father, David, on his deathbed. While David is laying there on his deathbed dying, his son tries to kill him, and he would have succeeded but his other son, his youngest son, Solomon, actually kills that son before he has a chance to kill his father. All because David felt entitled. Because he wanted to fight the battle and win the battle of entitlement. I deserve that. And it brought all of this heartache on his life. Cost him his family. You may have to choose to lose a battle or two to win the war. I would say select your battles. Choose very carefully what you're supposed to fight. Because a victory in every battle may not be beneficial for what you want to happen to your life or what God wants to happen in your life. The praise team was singing the song, Death Was Arrested, this morning. I couldn't help but think about that moment when Satan won a battle. When Christ was arrested, beaten, and crucified. There's no other way to say it, church. Satan won in that moment. He won that battle. But the war was won when the resurrection power of Jesus Christ brought him forth out of that tomb. Amen. You see, you are supposed to lose some battles in life, but when it comes to the war, when you are faithful, full of faith, and you know that God is going to bring you through, when you are faithful, you are always going to win the war. You will never lose. You will go undefeated when it comes to the war. Choose some battles wisely. Some of them are just not worth conquering. Pick the battles 
that are going to bring glory to God and not glory to yourself. David, a man after God's own heart at one time, lost sight of his God and was determined to bring glory to himself. We've got to learn to fight the battles that will bring glory to God, not ourselves. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.